0: Forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless.
1: Our reading today comes from the letter of James, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Listen for what God is saying to you this morning. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church. And the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in that it can achieve Elijah was a person just like us. When he earnestly prayed that it it wouldn't rain, no rain fell for three and a half years. He prayed again, God sent rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any of you wander from the truth and someone turns back the wanderer, recognize that whoever brings a sinner back from the wrong path will save them from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, everyone. My
0: name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of serving as pastor of this congregation. Um, in ministry and in leadership along with um, many of the folks that you've already seen up front here and many people who, uh, who, whose work is not necessarily up front and always seen but um, help us do what we do and be who we are um, as a community. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together and to grow and learn and lean into what it is that your spirit is revealing to us. And so we pray in this moment that you would clear away the clutter of our minds and help us to be fully present to what it is that you are trying to do within us. Help us to be people who lean into the discomfort of your teachings, knowing and trusting that you are leading us to greater life and fullness of life, not just for ourselves, but for the world that you love so deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, um, I learned about a psychological approach called cognitive behavioral therapy. Has anyone here ever heard of it? A few folks? All right. It's pretty widespread. Um, And for those of you who are less familiar, cognitive behavioral therapy is a little like retraining your thought patterns. Back in the early 90s, this um, approach was parodied on a Saturday Night Live segment called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And so this is me revealing my age here. But um, we've got a video here.
2: And his name is Michael J. I'll protect your anonymity. Michael is a basketball player for a professional basketball team. Well, that's very good, Michael. You should be very proud of that. Well, thank you, Stuart. I am. Well, good for you. Good for you. Uh, Michael, I know there must be a lot of pressure for you to play very well. And I can imagine that a night before a game, you must lie awake thinking, I'm not good enough. Uh, Everybody's better than me. I'm not gonna score any points. I have no business playing this game. Well, not really. (laughs) Michael, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Well, I do sometimes get a little nervous before important basketball games. I thought so. And that's okay. (laughs) You're not alone. Believe me, I know what it's like. Laying there awake, all those tapes rolling, I'm a fraud, tomorrow I'm going to be exposed for what I am, a big imposter, I just want to curl up and lay in bed all day and eat Fig Newton. Well, something like that. Right. Well, Michael, those negative thoughts are your critical inner voice saying those things to you, and I want to replace those negative thoughts with something positive, a daily affirmation. Affirmation? Yes. Now look in the mirror. Come on. Don't look at me. Only you can help you. That's it. Say, hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball into the basket. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball in the basket. Because all I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. All I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. (laughs) Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me.
0: So it's a little silly. And not everyone needs it in every aspect of their lives, right? Michael Jordan probably didn't need a confidence boost in his basketball game at the height of his career. But the underlying practice of cognitive behavioral therapy is there, right? Disrupting harmful inner dialogues. And as we move through life, we develop these internal dialogues or stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, about what the world is like, and how we should behave in it. At best, our inner dialogues serve to shape our identity, to give us a sense of values to live by and and even keep us safe, right? And at worst, they can limit our ability to see beyond our present circumstances and keep us trapped in abusive rhetoric or even relationships. They can lead us to harm people even. Cognitive behavioral therapy disrupts those harmful inner dialogues in the moment and replaces them with something um, even more robust than a daily affirmation. It's about checking the thought right where it is. You go to a party and this voice starts up. Nobody wants to talk to me. I'm way too awkward. What am I even doing here? I should just go home. A cognitive behavioral therapeutic approach would disrupt that line of thinking and ask, well, how do you know this is true, right? Did someone say something to you? What is is the actual proof that you have to back up what you're saying to yourself? And basically to just kind of realistically try to assess whether or not those thoughts reflect reality. It's a method of therapy that has proven to make a real difference for folks even in a matter of months. In a a similar way, in his letter to the early Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, James, the author of um, our letter today, is trying to introduce folks to a kind of spiritual behavioral therapy. Throughout the letter, James is trying to not only help people imagine what what beloved community, the kingdom of God on earth, looks like, but also to push them to embody that reality. Everything about their world was in tension with the way of being that Jesus had preached and taught. Humility, generosity, justice, these were things that were not going to get you far in the Roman Empire. And just like status updates, tweets, and even Instagram posts communicate with a certain consciousness about our personal brand, right? So there was a similar kind of consciousness about the public self in the Roman Empire, And as it turns out, the values that those folks back in the day operated from aren't all that different from the ones that drive our political, professional, and social networks today, right? The spiritual and emotional forces, the values and ethics by which people lived their lives became spiritual patterns, in fact, very deeply embedded, driven into us and them. From the very first day, we realized that there was a class hierarchy, an ethnic hierarchy, a religious hierarchy, And those folks then, as we do today, realize that um, there are certain practices, certain ways of thinking that will help you get farther in the world. These are deep spiritual inner dialogues that we have internalized, and whether we're conscious of it or not, they even drive our behavior. Everyone is equal, we might think, consciously, right? But some are more equal than others in the animal farm kind of way of thinking, right? Our subconscious sort of pushes us in this direction. Now, these patterns of thought and behavior aren't changed easily or quickly. They require intentionality and commitment. They require spiritual behavioral therapy. Rather than envy and arrogance, James urges them, practice mutuality and humility. Instead of individualism and competition, lean into one another through solidarity and cooperation. And so after all this instruction, James brings it home back to the community. Because if we can't get it right amongst our own, what hope do we have in getting it right as we live our lives in spaces that don't share our values? Here in community, James says, this is ground zero for our spiritual behavioral therapy. Here, we put into practice the things that we believe. Not because we are perfect, but because we actually need to practice. And in our passage for today, James focuses on three things. The first is to be honest with where you are. Are you suffering? Are you struggling to get through the day? Pray. Lift these things up to God. Are things going well for you? Rejoice then and be a source of encouragement for others. Are you sick? Ask for help and let people come and take care of you. In other words, if there's one place in this world where you should feel like you have the capacity to bring and be your full self, the successes and the challenges, it should be among the community of people who have made a commitment to journey in faith with you. It should be among church. How many of us have experienced that church is the last place where you could be honest with where you are or with who you are? Let's be a place where we can share Our honest struggles without fearing that we'll be rejected. Let's be a place where we can celebrate with one another without envy or without comparison, right? Let's have the courage to ask for what we need when we are sick rather than holding up and hiding away, ashamed of or imposing on people and and then becoming resentful that no one knew. It's easy to do this, and this brings me to James' second point bear with one another. When hardship happens, lean into the discomfort and pain with one another through the tough times. Often, we don't quite know what to do when someone comes to us with their life in a giant mess, right? And it makes us kind of want to back away very slowly <laughs> and, not, and, and sort of protect ourselves in a weird way, right, from the awkwardness or the, the challenge of what the questions come up for us. So some of you know that about a year ago, we launched uh, a care team um, here at Hyde Park Woodland, and the reason why we did this was because it felt like too many people were falling through the cracks. I was finding out, uh, and I've used this um, example too many many times, um, but uh, I, I was finding out that folks were having um, medical procedures done on Facebook, right? Um, or people would disappear for months on end and then return um, with a story about how they were going through these really awful times. I once got an email from someone letting me know that in a few hours they were going to have brain surgery. And I called them right away, and they explained they hadn't actually planned to let me know at all, but their girlfriend insisted, who actually wasn't a church-going person, their girlfriend insisted (laughs) that they let me know. It shouldn't be this way, right? But these are the kind of values that we've sort of internalized, to, to hide ourselves away when we're struggling. To not want to impose or ask for help. You know, we're not a large church or a wealthy community, but we can do some things. We can send flowers or make meals or do laundry or just pray for one another. And so we started the care team. And we asked people to try to be spies on one another in the best sense of the word. And we do this not only to be of service, but to invite those among us who need a little help, which is all of us at one time or another, right? To practice spiritual behavioral therapy. To not shy away when things get hard. To to not be afraid when someone comes to you with a request. To practice solidarity mutuality, and cooperation. And to remind each other that the world as it is is not the way the world has to be. And this brings me to James's third point. Present ourselves for God's divine activity. Yeah. Now, we're in this series about the common phrases or sayings that people often think are biblical but really aren't. Or at best, they're kind of half-truths. Now, this week, we're talking about the phrase, name it and claim it. Have many of you heard that phrase before? A few folks. It's a phrase that's attached to a very particular way of understanding God's activity in the world, often called prosperity theology or prosperity gospel. And now, every time I talk about this, I think I get folks who are a little bit defensive or protective about this theology. And this reveals, I think, an important tension around a very powerful and central component of what it means to call on God's activity in the world. Now for those of you who haven't heard much about prosperity theology, in its most well-known and widespread form, it it focuses on increasing your wealth, health, and happiness. And while it's not like God wants you or any of us, right, to be poor, sick, and sad, (laughs) um, this theology can be misleading about what it means to follow God. Right? And how God works in the world. At best, at best, teaching prosperity um, theology has led to a kind of transactional relationship with God. And at worst, it becomes a tool for predatory ministry. Now, a passage is plucked from Scripture completely out of context and used to urge people hungry for a blessing to open their pocketbooks. <coughs> Never is it pointed out that in the instance of this passage from Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Um, And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Right? Never is it pointed out in the instance of this passage that God is speaking through the prophet to call unfaithful people back into relationship. The goal is a restored relationship, not a fatter wallet. Now, it isn't that giving faithfully um, and a a kind of faithfully challenging offering doesn't open up a pathway to greater blessing in our lives, right? Who isn't blessed when they're challenged in their discipleship, right? When their relationship with God is deepened. But this is kind of where that distortion happens. Far too often, the the conversation is steered specifically in the direction of materialism and self-gratification. When the praises go up, The blessings come down, right? In the form of a bigger bank account, restored health, or maybe a a new Land Rover, right? (laughs) But what about when you give your money and your circumstances don't change? Right? When you dance down the aisle and drop your faithful financial offering and things get worse. What happens to your faith? What happens to you? Well, God can't be wrong, right? Goes the reasoning, so it must be me. Kick a dog while they're down, right? Listen, God works miracles. And we're all called to open ourselves up to that possibility, 100%. James is reminding us of this in our passage today. When we faithfully make ourselves available to God's activity, to work within us and through us, powerful things can happen. Look at Elijah, James says. He was a regular old person who brought a drought on for three years and then made it rain at the drop of a prayer. Therefore, the prosperity preachers would have you reason. You should also be able to pray for a car. Go ahead, I say. Go ahead, pray for a car, right? I've actually seen it happen. I'm telling the truth. I know someone who was desperate and they prayed for a car and they got a call and the person said, I don't know how to explain it, but I think God wants me to buy you a new car, right? Like, okay, pray for the new car, right? Go ahead, pray for increased wealth, health, and happiness. Go for it. But know that if it doesn't happen, that's not on you. Right? Because remember, too, how Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 5 that God makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good. Mm -hmm. That God sends the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. So consider the fact that your expectations might not be aligned with what God is looking to do within you and through you if things don't turn out the way you think they should. God's vision always is wholeness of life for all. And sometimes that might look like tending to the needs of the individual person, like the desperate widow whose olive oil, that same prophet Elijah, promised will not run out and whose flower jar would not run empty. But other times it also looks like confronting the political powers of the day, bringing down fire from heaven to remind them that while they might have the military, God has the might. God's intentions for you, for me, for this world is wholeness of life. Sometimes that means we meet our needs here and now, but sometimes that means being courageous enough to confront those death-dealing systems and structures that undermine God's vision for a flourishing world. It is tempting to give up and give in when the challenge of this this world, whether it is debt you can't seem to climb out of, a never-ending job search, medical treatment after medical treatment, or failed relationship after failed relationship, when those things seem to overwhelm any other possibility. It's understandable to want to throw up your hands and say, forget it, this God is useless. What good is it for me to show up when nothing seems to be changing and walk away from it all? It's in times like these, James says, that we must pursue each other, remind each other that part of the miracle we need is a community willing to hold each other in the hard times, to walk with each other, even and especially when times are lean and anguish is long. Because let's be honest, we all have seasons of life when life and faith feels impossible. We all have these seasons. And this brings me back to spiritual behavioral therapy. There are countless ways that this world will work to break us down, buy us out, or box us in. But when we come together and remind one another of God's vision for us and for this world, when we regularly commit ourselves to practicing the kind of community that Jesus modeled, when we open ourselves to one another with vulnerability, with trust, and with hope, over and over, rewriting those internalized spiritual scripts. We're not only defying those powers, we're enacting a new world order, prayer by prayer. Name it and claim it? Go ahead. But above all, do not forget that you have been named by a God who knows your deepest needs, that you have been claimed by a community that says you belong, no matter what the circumstances and regardless of your status we journey together, we carry each other, walking in a power that is not our own, and that is prosperity. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you do seek our wellness and wholeness and prosperity, and so we pray that we would keep our priorities in order that even as things don't turn out the way that we think they ought, they should, or when it just seems like it isn't our season for many seasons, we ask that you would show up in the form of community that calls and cares for one another and help us when we are feeling strong and things are going well to look out for one another, to care for one another, and encourage one another. And by all of this, Help us to remember that when we lean into this kind of way of being, we are in fact enacting your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.